0: Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is the Field Goals Podcast. I am your host, Dana O'Gorman. So we are a week away from the Super Bowl that is going to um, feature the Eagles and the Chiefs. And for fans of teams who aren't in the Super Bowl, their focus has shifted quite a bit. No longer are we worried about media day or any of the other um, pre-Super Bowl happenings that go on most fans focus have turned to the draft. And because of that, um, one of the big reasons for that is because we just had the senior bowl just yesterday. We are recording this on Sunday morning. The senior bowl was um, just yesterday and there were a lot of others. There was the shrine bowl. There was the collegiate gridiron showcase. So many things so we can start focusing on next season. And I think that that is where we are going to spend our time today. So, with me, as he kind of is at least through the end of February, <laughs> is of course my co-host Dan Veens. Dan, I heard you were sick. I hope you are feeling better.
1: I am. Uh, I may not sound one hundred percent, but uh, but I'm feeling spry.
0: Right. Well, I know that Dan, you are very excited about the draft this year. I know this has been a huge focus for you lately. You love to do mock drafts. Yeah. You love to to do all that. So that's why this week, when Dan and I decided to go ahead and talk about some of these prospects, I wanted to bring back my favorite college media person, and that is my friend Emery Hunt. Now, Emery, you have been on this show twice with me already this season, and I gave you full credit to anyone who asks that you said Gino's going to do well mm-hmm. and you're going to keep him. Emery, thank you again so much for joining us.
2: Not, not a problem. I'm glad to be on doing something uh, that feels normal, uh, you know, <laughs> not in a hotel room, not on yeah, yeah. in some different time zone, not <laughs> some family getting back to normal.
0: That is true. So for those of you guys who don't know, Emery um, Hunt, he is the owner of footballgameplan.com. Fantastic website. Amazing draft preview if you guys want to pre-order that because it saved my butt at the draft last year. God love it. It's fantastic. He is known as the czar of the playbook, and he works for CBS Sports HQ and Sportsline. But here's the thing, Emery. You spend a full month on the road in January. You spend all of January between all the different college bowls, you go and you in-depth look at these players and so that you can add them in to your draft book. So what is that month like
2: for you? Listen, and this is something that I had to explain multiple times to folks on the road because, you know, when you're at these all-star games, a lot of times guys that cover the draft all year round come up to you and say, hey, what do you think about so-and-so? And And they'll just call out a name. I'm like, bro, I don't even know who you're talking about. Like, you know, (laughs) I cover NFL and college football throughout the year. So uh, at this point, if you say, you know, number 16 from Minnesota, I may know who that is. Right. So it's the all star circuit is my first time getting eyes or getting into the draft mode and getting eyes on players, which is great because I come in with no preconceived uh, notions or no, you know, biases coming in. So this is my first time to look. Plus, it's great to have that as your initial look. Because then in the rest of this month, all of February, I go back and pour through all the film and great prospects. So that way I avoid being a prisoner of the moment what I saw. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're going to see people say Tajay Spears out of Tulane is probably my RB1 or RB2. Well, yeah, if you just watch the senior bowl and yeah, he's a great player. But if you just watch the senior bowl and that's your first take and your only take, you forget about guys that are juniors, that are underclassmen, that, that are, you know, put together, you know, tremendous tape. And so that's why I love my process, but it starts on June, uh, January 6th. I go down to the College Gridiron Showcase in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, stay there for about from the 10th, and I travel to the Hula Bowl, which is in Orlando, there for a couple of days, two days, and I, I was able to come back to Jersey to swap out suitcases and <laughs> then flew right back down to Orlando for a week-long Tropical Bowl event because they added another part. It was a Tropical Bowl scrimmage, then they added the regular Tropical Bowl week. Then I came back to Jersey for that Saturday and Sunday to swap out more suitcases (laughs) because it was out to L.A. for uh, Pasadena for the NFL PA Bowl. Um, Then I drove from Pasadena to Vegas to catch uh, three days of Shrine practice, flew from Vegas to Mobile for the Senior Bowl, and now we're back here. The only uh, other All-Star game I'm going to – and this one is late February. It's the uh, HBCU Legacy Bowl in New Orleans. That's February mm-hmm. 20th through the 24th, uh, which is weird because it's uh, Mardi Gras down there at the same time. So it's oh. chaotic. <laughs> uh, so Yeah. So I, I study all these prospects. And then all this month, I'd be like I'm up at 5 a.m. to about 8 p.m. at night, mm-hmm. just grading prospects to get this you know, draft guide out. It you know, used to be before the combine but with because of the late super bowl everything pushed back a week mm-hmm. and with this covid year that everybody has you know are starting to use you don't know who's in the class who's out of the class who's going to take the extra year of covid so it pushes things back so mid march to late march last year we got it out march 20th and i'm expecting that to be around the same date this draft guide would be done
0: and you can pre order this draft guide and and that's what i did last year and it was fascinating because it's so in depth And we're going to talk about prospects here very soon, but I want to talk about this draft guide because it is so in-depth. Last year, you had a thousand players in this book and all their details, what they had won, how they had played. It was so fantastic. I felt like I could get to know these players every time I would looked it up and I could just type it in at the top of the PDF form and look and find the player. And it was so handy. So I really encourage everyone again, it's footballgameplan.com. And so I want you guys to go check that out because you can pre-order it because it's fantastic. Now, Dan gets real excited about the draft. (laughs) (laughs) He loves it, especially this year going in for Seattle. We have the number five pick that we got from the Denver Broncos. They have the number 20 pick. And so there's a lot of debate going on about those picks. Should they keep it? Should they trade back? If you don't get Carter or Williams, do you go do this? Do you do that? Blah, 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 blah. So, Dan, I want you to tell me where is your head at right now Regarding that fifth and twentieth pick, are you have you changed from staying put or trading? Have you have you fluctuated at that at all? Because I know at one point you were really keen on trading back. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the easy answer is we won't know until we see how the draft falls because Absolutely. there there is a scenario. I, I mean, look, I agree with the consensus right now, and I don't I don't think Emory is going to disagree with this. That based on what Seattle needs and based on what the top of the draft looks like, that if there's any chance that will Anderson or Jalen Carter falls to five that you stick and pick, you take that guy, um, you know, that could change between now and then guys rise and guys fall and things happen off the field or whatever. But there, there is a scenario if it, you know, with some of the teams that, that are looking at quarterback and teams move up and down where that could happen. And so we, we really won't know outside of that to me, I'm more fascinated, and I and this is where I can't wait to get some of Emery's thoughts on what the back of the first round looks like. I'm more fascinated with what's going to happen at 20 than five. Because I think okay. at five, even this far out from the draft, we, we've we crystallized, I don't know, three, four, five names of guys that most people feel like would fit what the Seahawks need in the trenches uh, up front on defense in particular. But the 20th pick for me, it changes daily and and it's changed now based on things that I saw in the Shrine game and the senior bowl that for a while there I kind of thought tw- the 20th pick for the Seahawks might be no man's land that based on what I was seeing from other scouts consensus big boards that it sort of fell in a range of the first round where it didn't match up with what they needed positionally that mm-hmm. that corners and receivers maybe were a run at 20 it's it looks a lot different now and it, and and to me it looks like there are some things happening at the end of the the first round that, that just give me, give me pause. And, and, um, Mm -hmm. and I'm excited to see what happens even more so after this week. And what I want to ask Emory first is that there's been a lot of talk about how this year's draft overall isn't as strong a group as we've seen in the last couple of years, that the the guys, the extra year COVID guys benefited last year's draft and made it really deep because a lot of those guys that stayed uh, the extra year and took advantage of that came out last year. And that the flip side of that is this year, so many of the top guys stayed in school and even a lot of day two guys because of the transfer portal and the NIL money, guys that we were expecting to come out and that this this might be sort of a kind of a, a gray area year. But man, at least as far as what, what we feel like the Seahawks need, what I'm seeing from other evaluations and from what I saw on the field and watching practices in these two All-Star games this week is it seems like a pretty deep draft this year and in particular one that lines up pretty well with what the Seahawks need. Emery, what's your overall feel at this stage in your early part of the evaluation of the offseason with just what this draft looks like depth-wise?
2: I'm trying to pick my words uh, nicely and properly (laughs) because... You can you, you can clearly, uh, almost instantly find out who's lazy in this draft analyst space. Because for any draft analyst to say that this is a down year of talent in any year is lazy. Because I just came off of seven All-Star games and I, I've seen so much talent. Yes, there's so much talent Still in school, but there's also so much talent, you know, out here in this draft class. Think about, you know, guys that may be rookies of the year or who has, you know, Damian Pierce was a, what a fourth round pick. You have uh, mm-hmm. Tariq Woolen was a later round pick, he wasn't a first round pick. Um, mm-hmm. You have all of these players that that make a difference. That was maybe an undrafted free agent. There's talent in every draft, and you talk you talk with someone that graded thousands of the prospects last year. So obviously, I'm gonna be like, yeah. This class is stacked. Every class is stacked, and um, it just depends on how di- how how deep you're digging. And a lot of these guys just, you know, they talk about the same 28 dudes, you know, all all year long. It starts in the spring, and they carry that over. So they just change names in, in these mock drafts. So therefore, when you know fifteen of those 28 guys they talk about go back to school, like, oh, this 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 draft is weak. Like no, you just <laughs> talk about the same dudes all year. So of course, um, but to answer your question. Yeah, you can if I'm I never I never been a fan of trading picks. Um because I want multiple swings at bat in the first round, no less two of the top 32 players I get my hands on, sign me up for that. So yes, this is a deep draft class. It all depends on which uh what what you're looking for from a position wise. Now, in terms of you know in that same breath, yes, certain positions may have more top tier talent than other positions. Like, you may have – there may be a drop-off from elite first-round quarterbacks and, you know, from the elite first-round quarterbacks to guys that can be really good QB2s. There's probably a drop-off, but there are still guys that could, you know, spot-start a couple of games for you and be solid. We saw Skylar Thompson um, do that for the Miami Dolphins. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, no matter what position you look at, every year – because think about it, I always look at it like this. There's over 880 football-playing colleges. You do the math on how many seniors every year, and you sprinkle some underclassmen in there. There's more than enough talent, not only to fill the NFL, but also these other alternate leagues, the XFL, USFL. So no year is ever a down year for me. Hmm. That's good to hear. Yeah.
1: Tell me this then, uh, because, I mean, as Dana said, I could ask you about individual prospects, mm-hmm. but I want... You know we're here to talk about the Seahawks and in specific everyone agrees and Pete Carroll has even said on the record that the emphasis this offseason is the trenches on both (laughs) sides of the football and in particular Mm -hmm. up front on defense tell me about this group that you saw and a lot of the top guys aren't there and it's funny when we talk about early in the stage and the number five pick I I chuckle at how two weeks ago no Seahawk fan knew who Tyree Wilson was. (laughs)
0: It's true. You're not wrong. It's so true.
1: Now they all know who Tyree Wilson was <laughs> and they won't settle for anything less because everyone talks about how he's the next best guy after Carter and Anderson. Um, but now we're getting to know these other guys from what you saw uh, this week of the defensive line guys that were at both of these games. Um, who were some guys that you like that might fit the Seahawks that really stood out to you?
2: you that's a great uh, question because if uh, I think it was the first time I was on, Dana, it was what preseason or we were right was at off? the
0: beginning of the season. Yeah, it was very early, very mm-hmm. early.
2: And I said, mm-hmm. I, I think at that time you guys had were projected to have what two top 10 picks, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we had we, third pick for a while, man. exactly. It was a third, it was a third pick for a while. No, it was like a couple of weeks into the season, something, yeah, like, yeah. Was, you know, went yeah. off, but it was, um, but it was like I said, Will Anderson. And Brian Brassi were the two guys I think would be perfect for Seattle Mm. based off what they need. You know, um, this was going into the season. Um, And then now, Will Anderson seems like he's a little bit out of range for you guys. Jalen Carter, a little bit out of range. I even say you can get both guys, to be honest, you know, Anderson and Carter to play for Seattle because of where Seattle was projected to pick if they had, you know, Mm -hmm. two top five picks. Um, But now, you know, I still like Brissy and I feel like he is someone, based off how P. Carroll loves that big defensive line that's agile and versatile that can play across the front, Brissy will fit perfectly. Now, based off your question and looking at who was here at the Senior Bowl, guys that fit perfectly is someone that I've liked since last year. Uh, one of the few players I was familiar with going into the season and going into this all-star game circuit was Carl Brooks out of Bowling Green. He's 6'3", 303. He's built like a three-tech. But at Bowling Green, he played what was essentially a five or a four-eye. He played out on the edge at some point in time. So he's another one, big-body defender that can hold his own at any technique across the front. So, yeah, you don't have to pick him and pick 20. But if you did, I wouldn't care because he's a good football player. I'm all about taking the best players or – Players that you feel like are going to help your team, mm-hmm. whenever you can. I hate when folks try to game the draft and think they can game the draft. That's how you miss out. You know, if you like a guy, I don't care what what you think. You may think it's a a reach for oh this team reach for that man. I need this guy. I'm taking him. You know, so what? I took him maybe a round projected early. So yeah, if you can get Brian Bracy, Carl Brooks, um, the kid from uh, Coastal Carolina is another one that caught my attention. Um, he wore fifteen. I'm looking. Oh, Gerard Clark, six three, three forty three, but was quick off the ball, had active hands, aggressive hands. You know, so there's a ton of those type of guys that definitely fill what Seattle needs. Uh, you know, if Seattle went seven defensive linemen in this draft. I wouldn't care because they could not stop the <laughs> just, run at all. I've so, done some mock drafts like that. Just I love the all, it. <laughs> Just, the just all because
1: front seven, yeah. <laughs>
2: Nah, but but I I did like Carl Brooks uh, from Bowling Green. He stood out because of his versatility. And also uh, Gerard um, Clark from Coastal Carolina. Two big guys that are real active and and can be moved around the defensive front.
0: There are a couple needs on the offensive side of the ball, too. And, And a lot of Seahawks fans are really talking about center center is traditionally not something that Seattle spends money on or focuses on. They really kind of just see it as kind of a plug and play ever since Max Unger left. So I've been told that there are some pretty decent centers in here and I would think if they could get a decent center um on a rookie contract that that would go really far. What what did you think about that position this year?
2: Well, just based off what I saw from John Michael Smith from Minnesota, he was excellent. Mm-hmm. All yeah. week long in practice and again, it's hard to you don't want to gauge too much off uh, uh, one-on-ones, mm-hmm. but it, it, from a defensive perspective, because that drill is heavily slanted toward the defense to win, because it's one-on-one, no additional blocking, so you got all kinds of space, no quarterback movement behind the offensive line, so you can go anywhere. If you're a defender, you're going to make the old lineman look crazy. That wasn't the case with, with John Michael Smith. like He was mm-hmm. stonewalling everybody. And then it carried over, into nine-on-seven, which is a run period, and he was consistently opening opening up lanes. Then it carried over into team period where you got both the run and the pass, and he was just phenomenal all week, was excellent in the game, athletic, strong, anchors at the point rather well. That would be the guy that, hey, if you are going to split up both sides of the ball, and usually teams do this, um, you'll get the offensive coordinator to get what he wants, defensive coordinator to get what he needs. If you got two picks in the first round, as the Seahawks do that, then, yeah, I can see them taking the center at 20 and going defense at five because that's how good he was um, against yeah. some really good uh, interior defensive lineman down there in Mobile. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the guy that mm-hmm. that
1: right now makes so much sense at 20.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and I think based
1: on, you know, coming into this week, when you looked at all the mock drafts and the big boards, you thought maybe there's a shot. He's there at the top of the second round centers don't often go in the first round, but I feel like after this week, just to your point of, if you like a guy, get him and don't mess around because you might miss out on him. I don't want to relive the Creed Humphrey experience. Right. Is, is if you want John Michael Schmitz, and if the Seahawks think that he he would be their guy to anchor the pivot for years, then you're going to have to take in to 20. It seems. Mm-hmm.
2: Like. Yeah. Cause you, cause here's my thing. Um, I, I, I always bring this up because this is a great example of, if you trust what you see and and trust what you are uh, scouting, then damn with everybody else. Like for me in 2018, it was when the Browns had a first and fourth pick. I was on so many different shows in Cleveland and everyone was asking what you do with number one and four. I was like, all right, because I know who the best quarterback of the draft class is. At number one, I'm taking Saquon Barkley. And then at four, I'm taking Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, no, that's that's just crazy. Are you sure? You're I'm like, now look at you. You know what I'm saying? Imagine Saquon and Lamar. Now you know what I'm saying? Same offense. Yeah. Ridiculous. So that's what the that's what you have to have. Um, if you like a guy, forget everybody else, man. You're picking your team. This is your team, your situation, and just get the guys that can help you continue to move forward.
0: It's funny you say that because that was for years, John Snyder's MO, right? He picked the player that he thought he needed to get into his position that was of need. And he got a lot of flack for that. And there was a lot of years where they didn't draft super well. um, According to the experts, I always want to say that. But then at the same time, he mentioned something this year about how he was going to take the best player available that he really felt that. And yet... Um, on a couple of other shows I've done, I'm like, I don't really know that I buy that. It's just completely against his grain to just be like, I don't care what position is if they're the best player I'm taking them. And so I think we're going to see a little bit of a hybrid out of Schneider where it's like, we're going to take the best player available that I like. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think I felt like
1: that was so, that was GM speak because what was so so odd about that comment is he bridged it by saying, that was a change in our focus last year. Last year we decided we're just going to focus on best player available and look it, it worked out. We had a historically good draft class. But yet when you look at last year's draft, one of the things that made it stand out is they took players at massive positions of need, right? Along yeah. the way, the two offensive yeah. tackles and the running back. So, you know, you can say that, but you know, come on, if if all things being equal, right, Emory, if you're if you're sitting there at at 20 and there's three guys at the top of your board and one of them plays in the trenches and, you know, another one is a corner and you, you just, you're going to take the guy, the, the tiebreaker is going to be position of need, right? Mm-hmm.
2: That's exactly what it is. I'm going to take the best player available at the biggest position yeah. of need. It mm-hmm. just makes so much sense to do it that way because that's how you fill holes in your roster. You know? Yeah. You, if it came down to a, you know, a top tier cornerback, or top tier, you know, let's say center, you're gonna think, okay, how, we can we can probably scheme up enough to where we can hire the secondary. If you're bad on the offensive interior, there's no scheming you can do. You just got to get better. And so you take the center over the the top tier cornerback because no one cares. You got two top tier cornerbacks if you can't protect the front. So you know you got to take the biggest position need. Um, and and some teams try to. I always pick on the Giants because they just, you know, it's just, it's just hilarious because I, I, I'm out there every uh, training camp and all throughout mm-hmm. the practice and stuff like that. You know, this is a team that bypassed on both Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields and wonder why they're limited at quarterback. Well, because mm-hmm. you traded with the Bears. To, for them to go get Justin Fields, when you could have just taken him and you took a receiver that you ended up trading the next year. Like, it's just crazy yeah. how, you know, teams – Some teams ignore the biggest position of need because of feelings and perception. And so you get what you you ask for, get it because you ask for it.
1: Speaking of need, I want to ask you about Mm -hmm. the linebacker group that you saw this week, because, you know, we know that um, Jordan Brooks coming off an ACL injury. We don't know when he's going to be available. Cody Barton is an unrestricted free agent. And not the answer. (laughs) in, In most people's eyes. What... What it, it seemed like there was a lot of talent there, but yet the group that showed up to the All-Star Games, not a lot of prototypical size there on the inside. What did you see from some of the linebackers in Mobile?
2: Love the linebackers. Um, and one kind of followed me throughout the process. This was uh, the kid at Sacramento State, uh, Marty Mapu who was out. Oh, the late call-up, right? Yeah, he was, he was yeah. the late call-up. He was excellent at the NFL PA Bowl. Him and the kid from Ashland, um, uh, Michael Ayers. They're both both with the same prospect. You know, uh, Marty Marty Mapu played wide receiver, Michael Ayers from Ashland Division II program, he played corner before moving to linebacker. So naturally, we talked about the one-on-one drills and how, you know, O-line, D-line, one-on-one is favoring the D-line. Running back, linebacker, one-on-ones in in the passing game, in route running, Favors the running back, like running backs are 100 and zero in that drill. Now, when it goes to blitz pickup, <laughs> linebackers are 100 and zero in that drill. So, for the linebackers, this is why he stood out because there was no one completing passes on him. He was locked up. He played quarterback, played uh, in the secondary before he then played um, linebacker. So he was locked up with the backs. He was locked up in seven on seven, locked up in team drills, covering deep down the field, making plays. Some teams may view him as a strong safety because he measured it at 6'3", 217. So, and looking at his body type, he probably can get up to 225 mm-hmm. without losing athleticism, but he's essentially going to be like a nickel linebacker. But uh, Deion Henley from Washington State. There we go. I was going to gonna ask you looked-
1: about him. I'm, I'm, as a Washington State grad, I would be remiss if I didn't <laughs> ask you about Deion Henley. Another guy that used to play wide receiver. He 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 looked good to me in that game.
2: But well, that, that that explains why he looked good in one on ones. Because there was one day, I want to say it was the uh, Wednesday practice um, in one on ones, linebackers, running backs. No one caught a pass. Like it, during his, every time he was up against a back, that back didn't catch a pass. He was batting the ball away. He intercepted a couple. So he, you know, batted a thousand in terms of locking down the running back. He looked, the, and, and again, I, I didn't want to throw this out there on Twitter because you know how people get caught up with names and then he, you know, it goes, you know, next thing you know, it, it just spirals out of control. But his senior bowl, and I remember being hesitant to really trust what I was seeing at that juncture, was like, man, this dude played excellent all week. I don't know if you I don't know if it was because of the senior bowl or or maybe I'm just, you know, getting hype off the the individual drills. But his week looked just like uh uh the linebacker for San Francisco, Fred Warner's week, and mm-hmm. when he was at BYU. I was like, man, this dude is Everywhere, Henley was everywhere on both ends of defense, run game, pass game. He looked like Fred Warner looked um, a couple of years ago coming out of BYU at the Senior Bowl. So yes, he was probably the most impressive linebacker uh, there. And so you could find good linebackers all can do better than what we saw fifty-seven do for you guys out there on the um, on the field. You know, he was a liability. They found him, made it his birthday, and they kept running at him and kept making him try to make a play in space. And it was, it was tough. So yes, Seattle needs that. This is a draft where Seattle can answer all their needs and and close up shop. By the time they're they're picking the second round hits, they can get three picks and be like, yeah, we're done for the rest of the draft.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's interesting you say that because Seattle does have five picks in the top 100. That's an insane number. Right. And so I think that if they focus properly and really get, um, and I'm not saying that they don't know how to do their job, but we need them to focus. That's what I always tell. I want Pete to focus and, and do a job. It, it could be a slam dunk before the last day. I mean, it would just be insane. And, and that would be so huge. I wanted to ask you really quick too, um You did a great article um, for CBS about small school prospects and coming from a small school as my alum, Um, I think that a lot of times small school prospects, because they're not on national TV all the time and they don't get the hype, I think that they get overlooked a lot. But you pointed out some really good small school, you know, prospects. We have to remember some of the NFL superstars right now all came from small little schools. Um, And so how important to you is, do you think, scouting those small schools and how
2: impressive was this group? No, that's why I do what I do, because. And that's why I love going to different all-star games. It's it's great how they have it tiered because each stop you saw, you know, some some you saw a different level of athleticism, you know, saw an uptick in size along the offensive line. Maybe this defensive line group was a little bit more lengthy. Maybe this cornerback group was a little bit more athletic. This group you didn't see as many 5'8", 185-pound wide receivers. Everyone was over six feet, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. for the cool part of having that wide perspective is because when you get to the Senior Bowl and you're watching the best of the best, and then you hearken back to what you saw at the College Gridiron Showcase, like, oh, that dude could have played here. Or oh, this dude could have been a call up for here. And this, what I saw, was actually true. And it translated. So it's important to have a wide range of, of outcomes. And when you look at these small school prospects, you obviously want to see them in this game. And the the top tier talent instantly stands out you know, and, you know, certain traits translate, speed, explosiveness, elusiveness, um, all of that stuff really jumps out at you. And, it, and it's something that you could easily pick up. Like in the Shrine game, he had B.J. Thompson uh, from Stephen F. Austin. All week long, he was, he measured in, I think, at 6'4 and a quarter, um, like 245, 235, but you saw his ball get off and saw how athletic he was going forward and backward in terms of getting drops, you're like, this dude is clearly supremely athletic. And then in the game, I think he had two sacks. Mm-hmm. So when you watch these guys perform out here, they're answering questions. So now you can go back to their film and one question's already answered. Well, can he perform against, you know, top competition? Down in, down out, rep in, rep out. And All-Star Games helps you get that question answered so you can go back and watch their film with a better scope of what they can be and how to project them moving forward. Mm-hmm. Love that. I
0: love it. Dan, what other questions? I know you have lists of them. You told me you did.
1: (laughs) You know, just a couple of specific guys. We we talked about some of the interior defensive linemen, uh, a guy that I was not familiar with heading into the week and now could not be higher on, uh, Keanu Benton out of uh, Wisconsin was somebody that I learned about just watching practice and and somebody tweeted something about him and I looked him up and I pulled up uh, a game found a game on YouTube uh, where they were playing Michigan State and literally the first three snaps of the football game he wrecked all three snaps (laughs) Uh, as a guy that if they if they miss out on Jalen Carter at five that he might be a poor man's Jalen Carter similar build and, and game what were your thoughts on on him specifically this week?
2: It's funny because going back to one-on-ones, you're like, wow, like he really waxed the offensive lineman in that rep. Like just kind of – it was it was very kung fu, like, you know, just like wow whop, 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 and pass me like, damn. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm like, wow, that, that was impressive. Then I, I dug a little bit and was like, oh, that's why. He's working with Chuck Smith, former NFL defensive lineman uh-huh. um, that played with the Falcons, was a yeah. star at Tennessee – he trains defensive linemen. I was like, that's why his hand usage was elite because it's like this is something that no co- – you're not learning that in college, you know, unless you come from Ohio State yeah. with uh, Larry Johnson Sr., who's the best D-line coach uh, in, in a country. But wh- knowing that he trains with Chuck Smith combined with the strength that the point of attack he has, yes, he's a good one. There was another one from um, – pull his name up here because he was another one of these big boys that was killing it out there from Arizona State. Um, Nesta Jade Severa, he measured in at six one three zero seven, but he took one one of the centers and just like legitimately made him a quarterback. Like just <laughs> picked him up and just <laughs> brought him back into the pocket and set him down. So we had guys like this. This was a a fun D line group to watch because yeah. everything they did from a one on one perspective translated to nine on seven and translated to team period because they were very disruptive all week long. And then, before we let you go,
1: I can't, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the skill guys, because you know that at some point in this draft, Seattle's going to dip into either that wide receiver group or the running back group. And and we've spent a lot of time talking about how those are legitimate needs, you know, the need for a, a dynamic complement to Lockett and Metcalf, and certainly someone to add to that running back room to complement Ken Walker. Uh, what'd you see from the running backs and the receivers? Because it, it looked like some guys popped.
2: Yeah. You know what? I was impressed with uh, Evan Hull out of Northwestern. Yeah, he ran Um, hard. Yeah, he ran hard. Just a natural feel uh, for the run game. Actually graded his film this morning and just was impressed with how he's good in every aspect. You know, running the football, catching the ball, pass pro. He can help you out as a kickoff returner. We know Pete loves that. You know, all those guys that y'all have in the backfield, uh, Penny, Walker, DJ um, Dallas, all those guys have return backgrounds. Homer. All those guys have kickoff return background, so Hull fits perfectly for that, um, and should be around. Tajay Spears is the name that everyone talks about, but he's he's starter material in my opinion, and probably won't be a, a good fit for you guys because he's supposed to be starting somewhere and not backing up. Or you know, if y'all get him, he he's pushing Walker mm-hmm. out of that lineup and making him the backup. Um, that's how good Spears is and ha- and was down there at the um, Senior Bowl, but. One receiver I like was Trey Palmer, um, from Nebraska, hmm. and no one's talking about him, um, enough because bigger body, he's, right? He's a bigger body guy. Yeah. He was a star, um, coming out of high school, was solid at LSU before transferring to Nebraska. Now he also has a um, background in returning kicks and punts. He's a, a route running savant, can play <laughs> inside or out. So now. Seattle can get big on the inside with a receiver that can really uh, work his way across the field. has outstanding hand-eye coordination, um, and and plays with a little bit of that that New Orleans edge that he that you see from receivers from the city of New Orleans, like Trey Palmer, like uh, out there Jamar Chase. Those guys <laughs> tend to have that same level of you know dog in them. You know he kind of is is he's almost he's like this close to being. On the Golden Tate asshole spectrum, right? Where you need that—you need a guy that's about two two catches away from making somebody fight you, right? That's where that's where Palmer is, and Palmer is so good and and good in that regard. Like that should be another—I might add that rating to the the draft guy. I
0: think you should
2: Golden Tate scale, like you know what I'm saying. So I, I I like that about Tate, and I like that about Palmer. Plus, he's a really good receiver, great acceleration. There was one play. Um, In one-on-ones where he got off the line and the DB was lockstep, quarterback throws the ball in the air toward the back pylon and just instantly he hit the accelerator and just created his own separation and was able to haul the the ball in for a catch. So Palmer is someone that I think would fit perfectly in what Seattle has already with Metcalf um, and, and, and Lockett. Yeah
0: that's hilarious to me because I, that's one thing I loved most about Golden Tate and that's what that fits Seattle, right? Seattle with their big chip on their shoulder and we all like love to be the team. Everybody hates. I think that's perfect. You
1: got to have a couple of those guys.
2: You need at least four. If anything over four is chaos. You know, like you look at Baltimore, Baltimore, you know, consistently teeters that line with four, <laughs> like you get too many of those Marcus Peters and, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, if you had the one year they had five, and we saw the defense just fall apart. There's all kind of personal <laughs> possibilities you need four. Four is the max. Right. Four. Four is the limit, Pete. That's four. all you can have. You can't four. have. You, and you have to spread them out. You can't have all four be on one side of the ball because mm-hmm. now you're gonna have a problem.
1: Ah, oh, that sounds okay. familiar.
2: <laughs> it does. <laughs> I experienced funny, that from here. a few
1: years back. I don't know, seven <laughs> years ago, yeah.
0: <laughs> I think so too. Oh my gosh. This has been so much fun. Emery, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you and your time so much. I know how busy you are. So I, I love that you make time for us.
2: Not a problem. I appreciate you guys having me on. This is always fun because I just get to sit back and, you know, it's, it's, you know, I'm not as buttoned up on right. podcasts that I have to be on camera, you know, No, um, but this is, this is perfect.
0: Oh, I love it too. Dan, I hope you're feeling better and that I think your day gets or your week gets better.
1: I, I feel better now after Emery told me how much he likes this draft
2: class.
0: <laughs> you just made his week, Emery. Right. You have no, no idea.
2: Don't let people tell these lies to you, man. This these are people that are lazy. Like these yeah. there's so much talent out here every year and every year in the preseason. Where'd that guy come from? Oh, I thought you said this draft class sucked. Like right.
1: it is funny. It it seems like so many people out there are are so afraid of being wrong that they don't want to buck the consensus. Mm-hmm. And once that momentum starts to build and people start to talk about maybe it's a weak class, I, I don't know, people don't want to be the outlier, you know? Yeah. But I'm have I, I, I'm happy to hear you say what you said because I've watched this, I watched more college football this year than I have in 20 years because the Seahawks have so many high picks mm-hmm. and I'm more invested in it. and And my eyes tell me that there's a ton of talent and a ton of talent that lines up with what the Seahawks are seeking this off season. And I was getting excited about it. And so to, to get confirmation that, yeah, this is a good class and it's, and let's get excited about it. There's a lot of fun players out there is, is uh, certainly encouraging.
2: I don't see these people until mobile. That tells you how many people just use the senior bowl as the stock for their entire basis. When I'm out at all these other all-star games, I'm the only dude there. So.
0: Yeah. Love it. I love it. All right. The one other thing I wanted to say before we wrap things up tonight is, um, the draft is coming to Kansas City, obviously, at the end of April. I wanted to give everyone a heads up, though, because I was doing a little digging because I have a lot of people coming and wanting to stay at my house in Kansas City. <laughs> because if you are planning on coming to the draft, it's getting a little hard to find a place to stay and it's getting a little hard to find dinner reservations. So if you're going to come, book that trip very mm. soon. It's This is a popular location because it's drivable for so many people. So um, if that's your plan, people make your plans quick. All right, everyone, we will be back again next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Field Goals Podcast, and we will talk to you soon.